to Freedom to Choose from Just As I Am Ministries, a nonprofit providing hope to those caught in the devastation of addiction or who are searching for a better way to live. In this series, Parables and Object Lessons, you'll learn how and why Jesus used the physical world to introduce the spiritual world to his disciples and how the laws of nature relate to the Bible. Rich and Susan Kallenberg are a husband and wife team who found freedom over two decades ago from their out-of-control lives of drug addiction and alcoholism. Now here's Rich and Susan with Solutions for Freedom on Freedom to Choose. Hello everyone, my name is Rich Kallenberg. And my name is Susan Kallenberg. And welcome once again to Freedom to Choose and this series that we're doing now, Parables and Object Lessons. And we're talking, of course, about the parables that Jesus taught from and uh, and all the meanings that they have. Um, before we get going, Susan, you want to open with a word of prayer? Yes. Loving Father in Heaven, thank you again for another opportunity to have a program about your principles of life and, and how you operate things. We pray that you'll send your spirit to impress our minds and our thoughts and as well as everybody listening. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, last time we talked about the parable of the mustard seed and, you know, how small it was and all the applications that uh, that Jesus was uh, was making with that and how that little bitty mustard seed grew into the big herb and, you know, and how it, of course, represented uh, God's kingdom starting as a little bitty, you know, a couple of uh, fishermen and, and Jesus really not having a, a place to lay his head. <laughs> You know, and he's and it just starts as such a small thing, and it and it's grown so much. But one of the things we we closed out in talking was was uh, some of the seeds that are planted in in our minds when we're uh, recovering from addiction. And I think one of the things we talked about right at the end of the program was the when someone comes up because this is what really helped me. I mean, I can only kind of relate to you know. I don't remember a lot about my early recovery because it is really foggy and and I was I was in good shape. I was not in good shape when I got clean and sober. But I remember I, you kept telling me, "Call this guy. Yes, he will help you." And what this guy told me was, he goes, he said that this is what worked for me, and if you come to this meeting, I can give you some tools mm-hmm. that'll help you to get better. And that stuck in my mind. Mm-hmm. Tools. Tools mean that you have to do something with a tool mm-hmm. in order to make that tool work for you. Mm-hmm. Right. You, Is that right? You have to pick it up. You got to pick it up and it. use it. You know what I'm saying? Right. And and that stuck in my mind that he would use that phrase. I can give you some tools in a spiritual sense, and these tools, of course, were were biblical principles mm-hmm. of a, the therapeutic value of one addict helping another, mm-hmm. uh, suiting up and showing up, mm-hmm. and, you know, being in service. Confessing I Confessing mean, your wrongs. Confessing your wrongs. Making things right. Praying for your enemies. All these biblical principles were actually tools. But those tools don't do any good laying on the shelf. Right. They don't do any good laying on the shelf. Mm-hmm. And so we've learned in our recovery that the more we use these tools— the healthier we get. Right. And the, not only that, but the more accustomed to using the tools we get. 
Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I mean, the first time a person picks up a hammer and tries to swat a nail. They end up swatting it, their finger. Yeah, you swat your thumb or your finger. But if you use it plenty of times, the next mm-hmm. thing you know, it's second nature. That's the same way with recovery. Mm-hmm. You use those tools. You pray for your enemies. You you, you get rid of those resentments. You uh, you get into service and you help and, and, and you become a part of that therapeutic value of one addict helping another. And lo and behold, it changes you, and that becomes second nature, and you're transformed somehow. Right. You ha- it, that's right. You have to participate. One of the biggest things I think that, that a lot of um, people have that are struggling um, with some t- any type of a, an addiction is, is they use it to cover the pain from resentments. Right. And resentments just don't go away because you want them to go away. You have to or be— Or because you medicate them away. Right. You have to be an active agent in— having resolution to the situation and and God can restore your brain so that he can give you a a new, new glasses to look through. And so you see things in a different light. You see yourself in a different light. You see the people who you have resentments against in a different light and it, it will, it will transform your life. And you don't have to be an addict to have resentments. Right. Or, you know, but you, Many people don't realize that they are choosing another form of escape mm-hmm. when they have resentments. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, there's there's many forms of escape right. that we all use, and mainly is because. And, and the other thing, thinking about it, is when those resentments are rattling in, rattling around in one's brain. Mm-hmm. Usually, the emotion of anger, mm-hmm. jealousy, mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff is going on. That's not bringing you closer to God. Well, we talked about it. Those those emotions, as well as emotions of peace and and love, bring a change to the brain. Mm-hmm. So when you're in that that cycle of fear and anger and resentment, you're just creating that brain to have those attributes stronger and stronger. Yeah, yeah. You, you're th- yeah, we've always and, said if you're thinking angry thoughts, you're teaching your brain to become an angry brain. And so the one thing that you would think is like the most opposite opposite thing that you need to do, which is to pray for someone who's harmed you mm-hmm. yeah. is actually the thing that will that will um, uh, that will heal you make you well right yeah regardless of how they respond or if they don't yeah, even that, respond that. or even if they're not alive. But being able to say, you know, God, help me let go of these these yeah. thoughts that I have towards this person and towards this this thing that happened to me or or whatever, that the power is taken away and you become a different person. Yeah, because those thoughts, those feelings can and will consume you. Absolutely, and that's why Jesus said, you know, you think that um, uh, um, adultery is bad, but even thinking on a woman, Mm -hmm. and that has no action other than the action that's happening inside a person's brain. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as as we all struggle with addictions, that's why pornography is so... um, dangerous because you and God may be the only ones that know that's going on, but it is destroying the brain. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Well, while we're in parables and object lessons, let's look at some other reasons today why Jesus used the metaphors that he did regarding the seed and regarding growth, because um, all these things that we talk about, I don't know if you've ever said it, but, but I typically say, I'm going to go plant a seed. You know, when I when I want when I want to, I don't want to force my opinion on someone, mm-hmm. but I want them to think about something in a mm-hmm. different light. Mm-hmm. 
I'll simply say in my mind, I'm going to go plant a seed. I do that to you all the time. You do that all the time. I plant seeds. She plants seeds constantly. (laughs) I know she's- It it doesn't work, though. She's planting. (laughs) The thing is, is she doesn't till the soil first. She just plants the seed. (laughs) And it falls and the birds come (laughs) and they devour it. falls on the wayside, yeah. Yes. No, God created the seed and he created the earth by his word. By his word, he gave it power to grow and multiply. Remember in Genesis, he said, let the earth bring forth grass- the herb yielding seed and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. And God saw that it was good. Right. It is that word which still can causes the seed to grow. Every seed that sends up its green blade to the sunlight declares the wonder-working power of that word uttered by God, who spoke and it was, who commanded and it stood still. Yeah, you know, God continues to hold the whole entire physical world together. And it's important that we learn the lessons from the physical world and the way God holds it all together and the way that things multiply so that we can understand the spiritual truths. I think that's one of the main reasons for Jesus' quote-unquote style of preaching, if you will, because it can't be argued with. Right. And an example is in, is in Matthew six eleven. Uh, Christ taught his disciples to pray, saying, "Give us this day our daily bread." And remember when he said to Matthew in Matthew six thirty, "If God so clothed the grass of the field, shall He not so much more clothe you?" So what he's saying is, is he's he's constantly working to answer our prayers and make good on his promises. You know, there's an invisible power constantly at work. Believe it or not as man's servant, to feed and to clothe him. God, Jesus came to serve. It's amazing, the king of the universe. Right, and so you throw away the seed, and God makes a living plant, and he supplies everything that is required for a perfect harvest in exactly the right proportions. Right. It's just the law of nature. Effect follows, follows cause with absolute certainty. The reaping will testify as to what the sowing has been. The lazy worker is condemned by his work. The harvest bears witness against him. Right, and so it is in spiritual things. The faithful faithfulness of every person is measured by the results of his That's work. That's right. The character of a person's work, whether diligent or apathetic, is revealed by the harvest. And so a person's destiny for eternity is decided. Every seed sown produces a harvest of its kind. So it is in human life. We all should sow the seeds of compassion, sympathy, and love. Why? Because we reap what we sow. You know, we used to call it something else, I want to say back in the day, but we, uh, when I used to behave a little bit different and I wanted to start an argument, I would use the metaphor, watch this, I'll pull a pin on a hand grenade and roll it into the room. All you have to do is say something to... to pit two people against one another, and and it's just like pulling a pin on a hand grenade and rolling it in the room. Watch what happens. Right. You know, and so you can take and start an argument just by doing some, saying bad things. By the same token, you can sow seeds of compassion and sympathy and love the same way. Right, and a lot of times... Um you know, we don't see the, the complete fruition of, of uh, sometimes we may be treated with malice, um, but we don't see the final end of things. Mm-hmm. And so we, we 
sometimes we have to act in faith as well, not seeing the end result, but still doing our part of that love and compassion. Mm -hmm. Um, Because every characteristic of selfishness, self-love, and every every act of self-indulgence will produce an identical harvest. So the person who lives for self is sowing to the flesh. That's right. And of the flesh, he will reap corruption. That's right. Anyone who's destroyed will have destroyed himself. I, you know, as I look back um, on my life before I came to the Lord, um, I could clearly see that everything that I was doing was destroying the people around me and myself. Mm-hmm. I had no one to blame but myself. Right. Um, yeah, did did people harm me throughout that stuff? Yeah, but most of the time I placed myself in a in a very bad position. Mm-hmm. You know, most of the time you I can look back and see, yeah, I destroyed myself. Mm-hmm. And I did and you know, and I'm paying for it now physically and spiritually. There's scars, there's there's scars that are very hard healing. Right. Scars, emotional scars and whatnot because you do things that are not really um, that you wouldn't normally do when you're in addiction, and you've well, got to live with that. Right. A lot of people will look and say, wow, you really have a great testimony. But I, I've always believed when I became a Christian that the best testimony that there ever was was the testimony of Jesus where there was no selfishness. Right. So if you're going through, if you're a young person or if you have young people that you influence, the best testimony is somebody who hasn't fallen to the wiles of yeah. Satan, who hasn't gone after their own flesh and and uh, their own desires, but has had that spiritual connection with God. That's the best testament, because there are things that you do and that will that yeah, are you don't always to, in your mind, yeah. you know? Yeah, you don't want, you don't have to live with that, right. you know, the dreams that come with it, the mm-hmm. waking up in the, in the early morning, and, and why did I dream that again, or why mm-hmm. am I thinking of that, you mm-hmm. know, and it just... Uh, it, it can be a frustrating existence, and of course, the longer you live that life, there's more of that baggage that you've got to deal with, and there's there's some you know impure and not right thoughts that come popping in, right? You know, it's a lot of scar tissue that has to be dealt with. I mean, God understands that completely, but still, it really can drive a wedge between you and God because for me, you know, I'll, I'll start leaning towards beating myself up again. Mm-hmm. So wait, you already dealt with that, mm-hmm. yeah, but yeah, but you know. And the, and the devil, it's the yabbits. Yabbits, and the devil. Yeah. Come, remember, an enemy has done this. The, the devil right. will get in there, and he'll start, he'll start pushing those buttons. You know, right? Um, but anybody who smothers the warnings of their conscience is sowing the seeds of unbelief, and these seeds are going to eventually produce a harvest. All right, just like Pharaoh. Yeah, remember, remember Pharaoh? Pharaoh? Yep, he was rejecting. Um, by rejecting the first warning of God, he sowed seeds of obstinacy, and he reaped obstinacy. God didn't compel him to disbelieve. No. That was his choice. Right. The seed of unbelief, of stubbornness, which Pharaoh himself sowed, produced a harvest of its own kind. Right. His opposition to God continued until he looked at, you know, across his own land, and he saw that it was totally devastated. He looked upon his firstborn son. He was dead. The firstborn of every family in his house, they were dead, and all the families in the kingdom. The waters of the seas had covered his chariots and drowned his horses. I mean... The evidence was The plain. evidence was there. Right. And and his history is a really clear illustration of the truth of the words that in Galatians 6, verse 7, 
whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. I think that if people really understood this, we could be more careful as to what seeds we sow. Mm-hmm. And once, once Pharaoh—I mean, if I think about once Pharaoh rejected God, and I'm sure he, he did it vocally, right? Mm-hmm. And then all of the people around him joined in. Joined in. And now he's starting to dig his heels in, and pretty soon, you know, once you dig your heels in against God, then it gets—you could see he was just more and more obstinate. Well, and I think, too, that reminds me of David when he was king, and he did so much that, um, you know, broke God's way of doing things. And the more he went sideways, the more his kingdom did. And you know what? A lot of people from his kingdom, including his own sons, right. went astray, and they were there was no, you know, as far—we don't know what will happen to them, but, um, you know, it's that seed sown right. that influences— Right, and the ripple effect of that— yeah. Absolutely. So as the seed's sown, it, it produces a harvest, and the harvest in turn is sown, and the harvest is multiplied, and that's that ripple effect we're talking about. You know, in our relationship to others, this this law especially holds true, especially those close to us. You know, every act, every word is that we, we speak is a seed sown that will bear fruit. Every deed, you know, thoughtfulness, kindness, obedience, or self-denial, it'll produce itself in others, and of course... You know, I don't know if you ever talked to somebody really nice and that, you know, I met this nicest person. Then you go and you share that with someone else and, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, you know, yeah, it just kind of, it's contagious, right? Yes, it is. It's, but so is a, so is a down, um, a downward spiral, right? You know, you can, sometimes, you know, you can get into a funk and you come into a room and, and you bring the whole room down with you as well. And right. it's, it's a real it's like a cloud comes in, so it's either like the sun is shining and everything is bright and warm and right. and happy, or a cloud comes in and there's darkness right. and gloom. You, and yeah, you can create a human being can only create one thing out of nothing, and, and that's an atmosphere, that's, right? That's right, and it is contagious. It, Our atmospheres are contagious. So every act of malice, envy, or discord is a seed that's going to spring up in. A, a root of bitterness, whereby many shall be defiled. Yeah, that's, that's in Hebrews twelve fifteen. Right, a root of bitterness. You know, and how many will the many who are defiled? Are they, how many are they going to poison along the way? You know what I'm saying? That's that ripple effect. Mm-hmm. The Lord says, "Blessed are ye that sow behind, beside all waters." In Isaiah thirty two twenty, this I say: He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. That's 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Right. To sow beside all waters means a continual imparting of God's gifts. It means giving wherever the cause of God or the needs of humanity demand our aid. Contrary to popular belief, this won't lead to poverty. Nope, that's not. It won't. Because he, what does it say? He that soweth bountifully shall also reap bountifully. The sower multiplies his seed by what? By giving it away. Mm Mm-hmm the same way with those who are faithful in distributing God's gift. By giving, they increase their blessings. That's how it works. That's how reality works. Right. That's that's like a law of God. It's, it's one law, of those yeah. unseen, like gravity or, right. or yeah. physics. If it's you a, give, you live. Right. The promise is that what we give will, will return so that we may continue to give. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over, shall men give into your bosom. That's Luke six thirty eight, And it's not just talking about money. This is also talking about, you know, giving of yourself. Right. It, it, and as we distribute 
God's blessings. The evidence of our love and sympathy is a re, is awakened in the receiver, in the person that we're giving it to, and there's gratitude and thanksgiving to God that will sprout. I mean, you know, you can lift people up just in by giving of yourself, mm-hmm. you know, just by the giving of yourself. And this is how the soil of the heart is prepared to, to receive this, the seed of spiritual truth. You got to prepare the soil, right? Just like the ca- the casting of the grain. Except a corn of wheat fall unto the ground and die, Jesus said, "It abideth alone. But if it die, it brings forth much fruit." That's John twelve twenty four. Yeah, and so in that regard, there's another lesson that we can learn. So the death of Christ will result in the fruit for the kingdom of God mm-hmm. in accordance with that same law. We call it design law, or even the law of the vegetable kingdom, if you want. But it's all the same, and many will be saved as the result of his death. Right, and all who are to bring forth fruit as workers together with Christ must first fall to the ground and die. Self-love, self-interest, self-seeking must perish, because it is the law of self-sacrifice that is the law of self-preservation. Right, because, see, we try to preserve ourselves by sacrificing others, and Jesus says— no, right. sacrifice yourself, and you will, and you will live. You will live, right? Yeah, that, and it's important. It's an important concept. You I know, think that a, that in, um, that that we read that from um, an author, and I think that's one of the most profound things that I have um, read, and am still not comprehended at all. I don't know if comprehension or maybe implemented in my life that. By Self, helping, the helper is helped. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. By giving help, then you are helped. Yeah. By giving, you receive. Right. And I don't know that um, that um, that that principle is truly always lived out. I know for sure, not in my life. It needs more practice. Right, but you just think of the of the of the of the the the, the farmer. He, he throws his grain. He he preserves his grain by th- casting it away. You know. He's got to he's got to take the grain and cast it away. Right. So, Instead of taking it and, and, and making hoarding bread it. and right. you know eating it right then, he has to have in faith cast it out into the ground, and then he'll have many loaves of bread. Right. But right. but we but we go back to that concept we're of li- fear. Yeah, we're living in fear and panic, and we're trying to hoard. See, right. the, the life will be preserved or saved. That life is the life that's freely given in service to God and man, and those for who. Christ's sake, sacrifice their life in this world, will keep it eternally. That's they right. will keep it eternally. And so it is in the spiritual work in the heart. Go out with the word of God in your hearts, and you will find the hard ground of the hearts of many people can be broken by softening, subduing influence of the Holy Spirit. Unless hard work is put into the soil, it won't yield a harvest. That's a beautiful truth. You gotta, I don't want to say you got to work on people, because that's not what it's all about, but... The Spirit of God's influence, gentleness, or the fruits of the Spirit, gentleness, kindness, um, love, joy, peace, all these fruits of the Spirit, when they're exhibited, they have an influence on people that will, for a lack of a better term, till the soil or prepare the soil right. for the seeds. If you're you you know, if you're a mean-spirited uh, person, you're— Mean, uh, arrogant, yeah. unkind. But then you shove a Bible in your face. What have you just done to God's Word? Right. You've made it of no effect. Right. Right? And so it's not that we're watched all the time. It's that I think that, that in order to be kind and to be loving, you have to be kind and be loving. Right. Right? Right. 
you can't, you know, you learn you to read be, by reading. You learn to, you, you right. learn. You can't just be a human doing and doing church on Sunday. No, it's, it's, it's a life. It's, it's a life. It's right. a lifestyle. You become, you're a human being. Yeah, you you're not a human doing. To, right. You need to be being those character traits that, that Christ says are mm-hmm. of the, um, the fruit of the Spirit. Yeah. Yeah, so there's there's things that uh, we need to cooperate with God, but of course the main thing is to understand that He's there with us, He's walking aside, uh, alongside us, and He wants to make us well. But like the the title of the program, you have the freedom to choose because He asked the blind man, "What is it you want?" And of course the blind man said, "I want to see." And so Jesus is asking you now, "What is it that you want? Do you, do you want to be made well?" Only you can answer that question. And, and I know for me, I've got to be able to answer, yes, I want to be made well. Well, that calls, roll up your sleeves and get to work. Remember, folks, there's only two ways to live your life. One is like nothing is a miracle. The other is like everything is a miracle. And you have the freedom to choose. Do I love my neighbor? Do I love them? Can I feel his pain and his Thank you for listening to Freedom to Choose. There is truly hope for people whose lives seem to be overrun with problems, possibly caught up in unhealthy relationships, or even imprisoned by some form of addiction. Rich and Susan Collenberg, past addicts, are living testimonials that biblical principles do work. They've authored resources available to move those you love toward freedom. If you'd like to order the Addiction Recovery Workbook, Seven Steps to Freedom, or the book, Could It Be This Simple? The Way Out of Your Prison, please call 916-645-1297 or justasiamministries.com. As a nonprofit, they're supported by people like you. 916-645-1297 or justasiamministries.com. Thank you for listening. And remember, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you.